coming in as Bloom. Do it like center that. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. We are underway on the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Yeah, it's Steinberg and Ryan Pike from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Hello, Pike. Hi, Pat. How are we doing? It's been a busy, it seemed like it was a more news-filled and boisterous weekend than we anticipated. I mean, yes, it was. Some, some of us were thinking maybe depending on how college games went on Friday, we'd get some news over the weekend. Uh, that had happened in a hurry. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. There's also, you know, the, the Flames played a, a pretty solid game on Saturday afternoon. And then, you know, other stuff happened, and then I think the, the, the result on Saturday, in a way, has become an afterthought for a lot of the fan base. Uh, yes, I think that's uh, at least over the last 48 hours or so, it feels like that is the case. Uh, Flames Talk is underway this hour on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Cal and Gary's is the only family of products curated for the tastes of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. And, Mr. Pike, I don't know if you've heard the news. You may have been referring to it there. I'm not certain. Uh, the Flames have indeed signed I, 2021 first round pick Matt Coronado. I, I was talking about Sean Farrell. Oh, this is was... all this is, and, and or Henry Thrun. So I mean, you're telling me other players have left Harvard Crimson over the last few days? Jeez, like apparently the entire team is going to leave. Al- when it's Al- all said uh, and done. The, the LA Kings are in town on on Tuesday, and uh, Alex Laferriere has yep. uh, has signed with the Kings That's reportedly. So four players that and, have left. And if we're being honest here, I mean, some of their best players, like the you know Henry Thrun, is their captain. He's off to San Jose. Uh, you know, Sean Farrell is an extremely underrated finisher who sort of played uh, as a you know complimentary role, you know, on the wings to a lot of good centers, including uh, one that just signed with the Flames. So, I mean, you know, if you're Harvard, I mean, the upside is you can recruit pretty well because you're Harvard. No one else can say that they're Harvard but you, and you're going to have to keep recruiting well because uh, sounds like you know, but a half dozen, maybe like eight or nine overall players will be uh, playing for other teams. Uh, as soon as this week, potentially, I think Sean Farrell is expected to uh, to debut for the Montreal uh, Canadiens imminently. You're uh, you really went in depth into Harvard there. You really it's important. You took it's us important. right down the Harvard rabbit hole. Eh? That's um, right. Okay, here's the uh, here's the situation with uh, Matt Coronado, which, by the way, I love you for. Um, <laughs> you you can nobody rabbit holes better than Pike and. 99% of the time, I find it quite interesting. There's the occasional time where I'm like, okay, I don't need this lesson on we, we, yeah, uh, the, this, I, I, this I, guy I, from Mexico. Hey, who... I, 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 told a, I told a colleague from City Hall that we were discussing on air once, uh, one of the afternoon hits, uh, uh, community revitalization levies, and he's like, ooh, how did that go? <laughs> so that might be the 1%. 
I may have uh, I may have dozed off on that one. Uh, <laughs> here's the deal on Car- Coronado. He's here. He is skated with the Flames. Uh, he has his first practice or on ice session with them in the books. That was Tuesday morning ahead of this game against the LA Kings. He will not be playing against Los Angeles. Uh, feels like it'll be a bit until he does play, despite the clamoring from those of us on the outside to get him in. And I get it. I get the clamoring. I get the fan accounts and the the different fans the message boards all coming up with different lines as to who who would fit best with Coronado or who Coronado would fit best with and I I get it because I can't sit here and tell you that I haven't thought the same things Pike because I take a look at this young man and I know that he has absolutely zero professional experience zero pro games under his belt uh, is a sophomore coming out of college not even a junior like Johnny was or a senior like other guys have been Um, but we're talking about a right shot which all of a sudden you're like okay I'm interested Um, a right shot right winger with natural finishing ability That's the one thing scouts and people have talked about with Coronado going into his 2021 draft year is the fact that he is a finisher and he can put up points. It feels like he is a tailor-made insert into this offensively challenged lineup. But as you'll hear shortly, he's coming in with the right attitude and he's not going to play against Los Angeles. Um, and, And I don't know when he's going to get in. Could it be Friday against Vancouver? I'm skeptical. I think it would be awesome, but I'm skeptical. Would it surprise me if it's game 81 or game 82? I have to be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think, you know what it depends on? The standings. Yep, I really do. Though, I, I, I think, uh, you know, if you're if you're the Flames, I mean, you know, if, if we're going to blue sky it, you know, the if, in my opinion, the best player to put a young, a young guy with would be Michael Backlund. Uh, and the Flames have done that for many, many years, and it's worked out very well. But if you're in the business of trying to grind your way into a playoff spot, that's a that's a luxury you don't really have. And then it's just you know then how do you how do you ease them in? So I think you know I think as the as the the, the next few games unfold, the next seven to ten days, as the the Flames magic number elimination numbers wobble around, I think it'll become much clearer uh, when when and how he'll fit in. And you know he's he's had what. Zero full practices. He had a, a zero full practice. He's had a Correct. morning skate where he shadowed Pelche and said, "What are they doing?" So, give him some time. Give him some time. He's a smart kid. They don't let dumb people go to Harvard usually, and they no. don't let bad hockey players go to Harvard usually either. So the that combination of factors makes me think that he'll figure it out. But you know, th- th- let's be honest here. How long did it take the the whole Flames team in 2021 to figure out Daryl Sutter's system? 30-ish games. So, you know, let's uh, let's be patient here. I'm sure we'll see him. I don't know if we'll see him immediately. Let's hear from him. Uh, this is after his first on-ice session Tuesday morning here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. He skated on a fifth forward line with Adam Rizicka and with Jacob Pelche. Here's Matt Coronado upon arriving in Calgary and now finally being here. Yeah, it's been a little crazy. It's been uh, really exciting. Um, just hard to explain the feeling being here um really just grateful for the opportunity uh to come in and be with these guys and, and learn and do all that hey, we got picked up last night uh from the airport did it sink in then or was there a moment when you went okay this is happening i think it all started to sink in slowly i think when i walked in here today it, it really started to sink in and getting to meet the guys and talk to everyone and it's it's been really cool to 
Who were you excited to, to kind of talk to? I think everyone. I think, uh, I mean, really everyone introduced themselves to me, which was which was awesome. Um, I'm sitting over there in the corner next to Dylan. He's been unbelievable. It's making me feel comfortable. So just everyone really has been, been really great. Do you look to any of these guys maybe for some advice or anything like that? Because they want you to soak it all in. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to learn as much as I can from, from the staff, but also from all the guys. Um, this team's got a lot of players with a lot of experience, and um, I'm lucky to be able to, to talk to them and learn from them. What did you make of your first practice under Daryl Sutter? Um, it was great. You know, I'm just, just trying to get comfortable. I'm, I'm just trying to work my hardest and and uh, kind of get comfortable. Is it that balance of uh, trying not to mess up, trying to fit in, and yet still sort of act as though uh, everything's normal here? I mean, maybe a little. I think for me, I'm just in the back of my mind. I'm just trying to work as hard as I can and listen to the coaches, listen to the guys, um, but, but just work my hardest. It can take a minute to get used to the altitude here. Are you all right? Yeah, I was definitely uh, breathing a little heavy. Um, I think, I don't know if that's why, but just trying to keep getting comfortable. How do you kind of absorb this? Because this is, you know, crunch time for this group. Yeah, I think just work my hardest, be a good teammate, um, do whatever I can to, to support and help. And um, obviously, like you said, it's an important time of the year. So um, it's, it's great to be here and, and do what the guys. And in your collegiate career, it was probably, you know, at that time, very similar in that everything mattered, every step mattered. So biggest difference between what you just experienced in that uh, in that playoff format to where you are now, what's the biggest change or, or difference? Well, I think it, it's the next level, right? It's... it's uh, a lot faster, a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Um, it's tough to to tell after just just one short skate, but um, obviously there's a, a lot that goes into it. Matt, did you have any moments at the airport last night where a flame then said, "Hey, aren't you Matt Coronado?" Um, I did have one actually. Yeah, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Yeah, it was very nice. I. Uh, a young guy just uh, asked me if I was, and I said, "Yeah," and we had a, a quick little conversation, so it was cool. Obviously, it's going to take you time before you're ready to play. You still got to get adjusted to being on a new team, living in a new city. Has the team given you any kind of like plan or kind of checklist that you got to go through before they feel you're ready? I agree. Right now, for me, it's just coming in, trying to work my hardest, um, help however I can, support all the guys, and and see where it goes from there. Can you describe how overwhelming all of this is? Um, no, I can't really describe it. Um, <laughs> I've been saying exciting a lot. It's the word that just keeps coming to mind. It's everything's really exciting. Um, it's like I said, I'm just grateful to be here right now. It's an unbelievable opportunity. So just, just really happy. Has it hit you yet? Has it sunk in for you yet? Um, I can't really tell. I think it's starting to, sorry. Um, yeah, it's definitely starting to like, I think meeting the guys was a big thing for sure. That is Matt Coronado after his first on-ice session with the Calgary Flames. That was uh, Tuesday morning ahead of this game against the Los Angeles Kings. He will not be making his NHL debut against the Kings. Uh, we wait to see when that's going to be. But, Piker, the Flames really are going out of their way here to protect this player, to insulate him, and to really actively temper early expectations. It's the number one thing that... I have picked up on since this signing on Sunday, talking to Matt on Sunday when he joined me on the phone, uh, listening and, and talking to Tree on Monday, listening to Daryl Sutter after practice on Monday. It just 
the the tempering of expectations and the whoa 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 let's just not put too much on this guy um, that has been very very noticeable and apparent here and and as much as I would love to have the conversation about okay is is he better on the right side of Michael Backlund or on the better better on the right side of Nazem Kadri and that that conversation is a lot of fun. I actually do think, as much as I would like to see him in as early as Friday, and I think there's plenty of reason, I do think tempering the expectations, whether it's waiting until game 82 or getting him in on Friday in Vancouver, tempering the expectations is the right approach. Be cautious because, you know, the last time they picked 13th overall, I believe it was uh, Sven Berchi. And uh, we, all know Sven how, Berchi. we all know how that went. Well, I mean... I think, and I'm not suggesting yeah. that's what's going to happen, but you just don't let the expectations turn into a runaway and train. I, I think, I think if there's one, granted, this organization under this current leadership has been good at a lot of things in terms of player development, but I think one thing they've been good at is sort of just keeping things in perspective and sort of, you know, the, the you know, one of the criticisms, and I think perfectly warranted, of our neighbors up north under previous regimes was that here is this 18-year-old child here to save the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. And the Flames have always been very good, A, at, one, not bringing in 18-year-olds to, to do anything, and B, when 20, 21-year-olds come in, I mean, we, we heard this when, when Jacob Pelche got called up from the general manager and you know, even subsequently from, from Daryl Sutter, Good kid, learning stuff. Need you know, needs some work. We're gonna bring him along. You know, don't don't expect him to to be you know the be all end all right away. And these you know, Jacob Pelche. You know, you guys mentioned him on on the the, the Daily Flames roundtable. How important a player he is going to be. And I'd say the same thing is happening with Connor Zary down with the Wranglers, where they're bringing him along really slowly and building his confidence and building his his. his you know his toolbox, and I think they're going to do the same thing with with Matt Coronado because you know is Matt Coronado going to be the difference between them making the playoffs or not? Probably not. No. Is he? Could he be in a year or two the difference between them being a good team and a good and a very good team? Possibly if if they play their cards right. And I think they've seen things work well enough with so many of the young guys they've brought along over the last decade that I think they've figured out what doesn't work. And what doesn't work right. is throwing a kid in right off a plane from Boston saying, okay, kid, uh, here's your line, mates. Good luck. The only time they've ever really gone that road was with Kachuk. That's really the yeah. only time they've ever and, brought an 18-year-old in and put well, him even, in right away. Even I think I think both Kachuk and Monaghan. Like, Monaghan was... I guess an, Monaghan, Mon- too. Monaghan, no, no, Monaghan was, as well. Monaghan yep. was was an October birthday, and he was already, for lack of a better term, man-sized when he came in, and he had the time, type of metabolism where he gained, like, 12 pounds over the summer. And so he came in at, like, just shy of 200 pounds, was built, you know, he was thick, he was built, and it took, basically, he basically had to twist Brian Burke's arm to keep him on the roster to begin with, and then he was, you know, in a situation where he had to, you know, earn his time the entire time. They were at the precipice of sending him back pretty much perpetually, and that happened to work out really well for him. Same with Kachuk, where Kachuk, you know, they were thinking, ah, maybe we'll send him back to Junior, and he just had a great training camp. Sam Bennett had a really good training camp, you know, outside of the work shoulder, shoulder injury, injury. Yeah. and then, you know, he, that was, I think that's a unique situ- enough situation that if you, if you say hey, I wish they hadn't done things the way they did with Sam Bennett. In retrospect, I'm pretty sure they would say similar things based on how his development went. But, I mean, things happen. you got to roll with them. And I think right now with the cards they have to play, giving 
you know, Coronado as much time to get ready so that when he does get in, he feels like he can take on the world is probably the best way to do it. And for all the people uh, screaming at Ginla, um, yes, he was also 18, I believe, but that was, um, you know, 25 years ago. And I mean, ago. and if we're being honest here, Jerome McGinley coming in at... at that was know, 25 years ago. 20, I was talking more 25 recently. 25 years ago and coming out of junior when he was, you know, He'd won the league MVP award. He was, you know, probably the best player in the Western League, best, one of the best players in Canadian Major Junior for like two years in a row. And then they fi- finally brought him in when the playoffs were done. And granted, I mean, they also got swept by Chicago. So, I mean, how well that plan worked out, we can debate. But, you know, we won't we won't litigate things that happened 18 years ago. 28 years ago? 20, 20 years ago? 90, Oh, happy anniversary, is. by the way. It's 10 years after the trade. Uh, yeah, that was yesterday. That was yesterday? That was yesterday. March 27th. See, this is I should have gotten your card. March 27th, 2013, the day Jerome Ginla was traded to the Pittsburgh to, to not Boston. To the Pittsburgh exactly. To not for Koklachev, Bartkowski in a first I, round. My pick. my favorite or my favorite Eric Francis one-liner was we were here at the after the Ginla trade went down and we're all sort of you know furiously typing away. He sort of hunched over his laptop. He starts giggling, takes his headphones off, turns around to a bunch of us and goes, "Boys, you know what the best thing about this is?" We don't need to learn how to sell Koklachev. That's a good point. Uh, Hanowski and Agostino were a little easier to uh, get done. Here, uh, here is Brad True living with us on Monday's show. And the general manager, when talking about tempering expectations, made a, a pretty impassioned, I don't want to say plea, but made a, a pretty direct um, or, or gave us a very direct answer as to why that's so important. We know the market we play in. We know the excitement, and, and it's, there should be excitement around the player. I'm glad people are excited, um, but our our job is to protect the player and 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 help them, um, you know, be successful. Put them in the put them in a, in a in the best op situation to be successful. And you know, coming in and, and and putting a whole bunch of weight on his shoulders and expectations on his shoulders. You know, the reason we brought him here is to get, you know, to go through this process. Um, and expedite things, right? He's, he's around just, just being in an NHL locker room. You know, this is a player that hasn't gone to a rookie camp yet. People have to recognize, you know, the NCAA two players are different. He's, you know, Matt's been to, you know, with, he gets drafted in 21. He's coming out of COVID. He's been to one development camp. Um, you know, he hasn't been to, you know, he hasn't been to a rookie camp. He yep. hasn't played in an exhibition. Like, so let's just, let's pump the brakes here and let's let the kid breathe a little bit. And, uh, but we, you know, we thought it was excellent. Let's get him here. Let's get him around the team. It's, it, we talked about meaningful hockey. There's no more meaningful hockey than in the middle of a playoff chase. Um, you know, being around the, being around the players, being in practice, you know, obviously hopeful to get him in games and we'll get him in games at some point here, but let's just let him, let's just let him breathe. He's a 20 year old player. Um, and you know, he's two years removed. He's two years removed from the USHL here. Let's just let him. Let's just let him develop here. It's great to be excited, but you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shield him as best we can and let him, you know, take everything in. We think he's got we think he's a terrific talent. He's got a chance to be a real good player. But um, let's just let that process unveil and uh, like yeah, take care of itself and not let's not let's not let anybody get ahead of ourselves. So that was the general manager on Monday's edition of Flames Talk. Uh, that's available wherever you get your podcasts. 
I think tempering expectations on when he plays is important, Pike, because it might take a while. It might not. I don't think we know at this point, but it might take a while. I know Eric Francis has been very adamant that it won't happen until uh, they're either in or out, and maybe that's the way it goes. Um, and, and I get why you might have the feeling that if it's a meaningful game, he's not going to play. Um, so we don't know when it's going to be, but I think tempering expectations is important. And I also think it's important to temper expectations about what he might be or will be once he hits the ice, whenever that ends up being. Because it might take a while for him to really find his legs and make an, import, an impact. This is not... This is not Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau came out of college with one game in 2014 yep. as the best college he, player on planet would, Earth. You could That's make, not Coronado. You could make a case. You know, Gaudreau played three years in college in Boston College. You could make a case that from, like, the bean pot of his rookie year on, so about January-ish of his first year until the end of his college career, two and a half years, he was the best college player in the world. You know, he's easily the most dangerous offensive player. His defensive game got better as he went along, but he could just flat-out score any situation. He was a game-breaking college player. Johnny Gaudreau had 80 points in 40 games in his junior season in college hockey. He had 51 in 35 as a sophomore. Yeah, he, he went, and he was a dominant player at the World Juniors. He was, you know, he was, he was you know, Johnny Gaudreau is basically a lottery ticket. Uh, Coronado, all due respect to the player, he was a very good college player. He wasn't dominant, and... Very good is helpful. You know, very good helps everywhere. Very good players are what the bulk of the NHL is made out of. And very good it, it will translate, hopefully, to him having a productive pro career, especially at the NHL level. But, you know, if a dominant player... I mean, you and I watched the first five games of Johnny Gaudreau's career before he got benched. Uh, he got healthy, scratched one game, and then became a points-per-game player. And so if the... if Potentially the most dominant offensive player in college hockey in a generation looked very ordinary for those first few games while he was figuring things out. You know, I, th- I think giving giving Coronado some leash to sort of have those growing pains and figure things out is is definitely warranted. And you know, again, like like Brad said, you know, he, he's going to be an important player for them. He's an important player for them now. But you know, if the idea is that they're going to have him for a few years, you want to figure out a way to make him as good as possible for as long as possible. Well, they've got him for what the six years of team control. If if you if were you, to max if, it out, yeah, if you exclude this year, it'd be seven. Yeah, if yeah, you include this yeah, year, this year would be year one, and then six more. Exactly. I'm I'm counting. This is the. He's getting a free year on his three years. He's burning a year. So yeah, it's it's the next six years. He's under team control. It's pretty nice. That's a pretty nice thing to have in your back pocket if you're the team. Um, and yeah, I mean that doesn't mean that uh, he's going to be here for all six of those years. But usually, guys who are under team control are with that team for the bulk of the time they're under team control. Very rarely does it go the other way. So they've got yeah. they've got a controllable asset now for the next six years after this one. That's that's a nice feather to have in your cap as well. Yeah, they they, they went to a draft in a pandemic year and they picked up a guy who all he did was score goals and then he went to college and all he did was score goals in college too. And he also learned how to play center at the college level. So he's he's a pretty tantalizing asset. So I think if you're the Flames, you want to figure out a way to make him the most well-rounded, most useful, most versatile, most productive player you can. And, you know... 
that takes some time. I mean, you know, case in point, Michael Backlund just finished his celebrated 900 games. Michael Backlund, you and I have talked a lot about, we've written both of us a lot about Michael Backlund. Michael Backlund is basically the, you know, the, the picturesque story of you got to be patient with the development. And Backlund, when he was drafted, was a good to very good Swedish junior player, and it took him a while. And then he became very, very good. So this kid might take him a while. Yeah. But based on what the scouts were saying and based on what his coaches were saying and everyone I talked to around uh, college hockey, they're all pretty confident he's going to turn into something pretty special. A few texts at 96960. This says, who are all these people saying he's got to play and he's going to save the team? I haven't heard one person say that. I only keep hearing announcers, hosts, coaches, GMs saying, settle down, pump the brakes, temper expectations, and on and on and on, talking to imaginary voices, I think. No, I don't think so. I've seen and, – and for me, I'm talking to the um, – Okay, well, okay, he's gonna. It'll be Huberto, Lindholm, and Coronado next year. That'll be your top line. It's like okay, maybe, but maybe it takes him a little while for him to work his way into that type of conversation. That's more what I'm talking about when it comes to temper expectations or lots of people saying, "Remember how good Johnny was right out of college?" And I'm like, well. I don't know if they're really apples-to-apples comparisons, as we just talked about. One guy was, without question, the best player in college hockey for the better part of three seasons and was, without question, you could have given him the Hobie Baker um, 20 games into that season. He was so good in his junior campaign. And Coronado had a good sophomore year and is a good prospect and and could turn into a good NHLer, should turn into an NHLer. But to think that he's going to be what Johnny Gaudreau was, uh, maybe he is, and that's awesome. But to expect it, I think that it's it's fair to be like, okay, let's just pump the brakes a little bit and and not put that much on him. That's that's yeah. more who I'm talking to. And and look, I'm excited as well. I want to see him in there. I'm more to that texter. I'm talking to the imaginary voices in my head, and I'm I'm tempering expectations for myself about <laughs> what he could be more than anything else. Yeah. You know, it's it's that he's he's the Flames did not have a 22 first round pick because they traded for Tyler Toffoli, which to be blunt, I would have done too based Agreed. on when, when they were going to pick. But you know, he's he's a special you know, he's a special player based on his offense in the, in the junior in the junior and the collegiate level. And you know, sometimes it translates, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes guys learn to do other things. I mean, Blake Coleman was an exceptional scorer at the USHL level, and he turned into a really good really good collegiate player. Is he the same player? In, in the NHL that he was in college or junior? No, but he's really good. And it took him a little while to figure out how to be Blake Coleman at this level. And I think that's, to me, you know, from a player development standpoint, that's the exciting part about the next two, three weeks, the next summer, the next season, is figuring out, okay, this kid has all these raw skills, all these great tools. How can he translate that? And the fact that he has, you know, guys around him Backland, Dubé, Mangiapane, Pelche, you who know, have all kind of who, gone through. Who've all gone things. through it? Yeah. They have, you know, they have an assistant uh, coach in Ryan Huska, and they have a coach in Kale McLean who have been very hands-on with developing these players very recently, and have, you know, have had a lot of success translating guys from, you know, collegiate to junior, and you know, or collegiate to the AHL and the AHL to the NHL. I mean, you know, he he has a lot of resources around him that could set him up for success, but it's going to take him a little bit of time to figure out which ones are the right ones to lean on.
Uh, this say Flame C Coronado is a right winger, right? Not a center. Uh, correct. I think for the time being, right wing is where they project him. Uh, and this from Joel and Clarizone. I think the expectations vary with young players based on what skills they become known for at the junior or collegiate level. What's important is giving him a window to work on details based on the way the Flames play and allow his individual skills to present themselves at the opportune time. He's not the answer for the Flames goal scoring woes right now. He's a prominent prospect with a lot of offensive upside. Good stuff on the text line at 960-960. Pike and Steinberg, this hour underway on Flames Talk. That's your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards, and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, Mr. Pike, it's uh, Steinberg and Ryan Pike along with you as this hour continues. As the Flames try to keep their hopes alive, I have seen one real positive from the Flames of late, and that would be play of Nazem Kadri. And I think, number one, specifically the production of Nazem Kadri, where he scored in back-to-back games, which is something that they absolutely have needed from him. Big goals. Big goal against Vegas. Bigger goal against San Jose. Um, so that 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 has been there for sure. I like the way he played last week in Anaheim as well. But it's um, a potential anyway. I don't know... I don't know if it is for sure, but it's a potential good sign for this group going down the stretch because, Pike, they need Nazem Kadri to be one of their best players in the final eight games here. They need him against Los Angeles. They need him against Vancouver. They need him Sunday against Anaheim. They need this guy to be a difference maker more often than not in the final eight games here. If he's not, then there's a pretty decent chance that they just end up flickering away and and don't make up the five points they need on the Winnipeg Jets so Nazem Kadri playing better here when the season truly is hanging in the balance that is that's a potential silver lining you 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 go out like this season you know we we can talk about Jonathan Huberdeau's contract another day but for this season right now the highest paid player on the team is Nazem Kadri and you want the highest paid player on the team to be a difference maker when the chips are down when it's do or die time you need your high money, high leverage, high importance guys to be your best players. And this past week, he's been amongst them. And I think he needs to continue building on that because, you know, regardless of the noise uh, around the hockey club, they're still within spitting distance. And if they, you know, they are they a team that's capable of going on a tear? Yeah, I, I fully believe they're a team that could, they'd have potential to rattle off eight in a row. Uh, will they? That's up to them. And that's sort of been the thing all season where it's sort of been one step forward, one step back, and they've sort of been running in place for a lot of the season. And a lot of the reasons for that has been, you know, the seasons that some of their big names have had. Do they have the potential to run off eight in a row like most teams have the potential to run off eight in a row? I think, well, I mean, do 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 they have a goalie who can steal them games? Yeah. Has he stolen them games recently? I think one or two. 
I think he's done that once all he's year. He's kept them in games otherwise, but I think I think the big you know they, they're they're capable enough team. And how you know, okay, we've been singing this song all year. How many games have we seen them after losing a tight game where you go they needed that one more save and they, or they and they needed that one more goal and a got the got the guy I'd say on this club that they pay. Maybe him and Toffoli, but the two guys they pay to get that one more goal are Toffoli and Kadri. And Toffoli has more than held up his end of the bargain. For sure he has. And Kadri is starting to look like he could. And I think if he does, if he can, if he be, can be anywhere close to what he was at the beginning of the season or at the end of last season, maybe maybe it's in the cards. But, you know, I think uh, if nothing else, if Kadri's at his best – they won't go quietly into the night. If nothing else, they'll go down swinging. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think it's a potential encouraging sign anyway. I also think it's important to note, as we talk about this, this playoff race and as we talk about where the Flames stand, they are four back of tying the Winnipeg Jets. And just for sake of real, realism, that's not what they need, right? Tying the Winnipeg they're lose. Jets. They don't. They're going to tying lose the, the Winnipeg Jets is the same as being five back of the yeah, Winnipeg so, Jets so when it comes to results. For for those of you who don't have NHL.com open all the time on your phone, first of all, shame on you. Uh, but the the first tiebreaker, the the tiebreakers they have, there's regulation wins, then regulation and overtime wins, and then just flat out wins. So and then if all those three things are tied, then they go to head to head. And so if the Flames finish with the same number of points as Winnipeg, barring something weird happening right now Winnipeg has a four win edge in regulation wins on the Flames so if the Flames if all they do is get two more wins than the Jets from here on out and they finish in a tie then the Jets would go ahead because they'd have more regulation wins so unless something weird happens the Flames are going to lose that tiebreaker so they so need, that would they need be, to finish a point ahead that would be if the Flames go six and two and the Jets go four, four and four, four. Uh, the Flames still end up out it's kind. It's it like and and assuming that the Jets, I mean maybe the Flames win all six in regulation and the Jets win all four of theirs in overtime. Yeah, like shootout. Weird, that, weird, it's weird not things could happen. Completely out of the question. Weird things could happen. But realistically and most likely, they're going to need to make up five points on Winnipeg, right? Yeah. So it's a three-game lead the Jets have with eight to make up. Have crazier things happened? Yes. Do we want that thing to happen this year? For sure. Uh, but that is that is the circumstance that we're talking about right now. They need to make up the five points on Winnipeg if they're going to want to get where they want to go. Uh, I will say this. If they rattle off eight wins in a row, I think they'll be there. If they win their final eight, it would actually be their final nine. Um, if they if they are to go 9-0 and to finish the year, um, I think that they will get into the playoffs and it won't actually be all that close. Close. Um, I don't think they're going to go nine for nine to finish off the year. But if they do, then they'll be in a real good spot. If they finish the year six and two in this eight, which would be seven of their last nine, I think they give themselves a chance. Yeah. Um, I think. I uh, think that anything less than six and two, as, as they're in a tough spot. As we're speaking on uh, Tuesday before the LA game, uh, the Flames clinching number on Winnipeg. Uh, is ten and a half, which is the combination of Jets losses or overtime losses and Flames wins or overtime wins. So uh, essentially, you know, Flames need to have that. The point five is the difference. The point five is that extra OT win, the extra point, the extra whatever they need to get to to finish ahead of them because so the tie won't do if it. If they go six and two, the Jets would have to go what uh, four three and one. Four three and one, yeah. But less than that. 
for the Flames to make yeah, it. Yeah, because that'd be four and four. Yeah. So that would that would draw, yeah that would draw it down to point five. So they'd still need to lose another point somewhere. Yeah. So they have to go three, four, and one. Three, four, and one. Yeah, that would be the way to go. Yeah. So if the Jets go three, four, or, and or one, the, the Flames or, go six and two. Or, or, the, or the Flames need to go six, one, and one. Yeah. It could happen. The math doesn't favor them. The odds don't favor them. The way the Jets are playing and the way the <laughs> Jets are very adamant in keeping the window or door or I, uh, garage door or whatever open seems to favor the Flames. I, I think uh, our, our friend Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast recently referred to it as the tortoise race in the Western Conference for the last playoff spots <sighs> between Nashville, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Does and anybody want to take it? I mean, whoever, whoever, gets their, whoever gets hot first is going to take that spot. And the Flames are hoping it's them. We'll see. So going into action on Tuesday night, where all three teams are playing: Nashville five four and one in their last ten, Calgary five three and two in their last ten, and Winnipeg five five and zero oh in their last ten. Does anybody want to win more than they would lose? Uh, the Flames have won five and lost five. The Preds have won five and lost five. The Jets have won five and lost five in their last ten. The only difference is the Flames have squeaked out two loser points, and the Preds have squeaked out one. The Jets haven't. But does anybody want to win more than they lose down the stretch? So far, all three teams uh, have said no. Um, no Pelche versus L.A. That's now six of seven as a healthy scratch. Is this the best thing for him much longer? If this continues like this, when does the... For me, I think the conversation has already begun, but I don't think we have hit the threshold yet I, I would be, of when it makes sense to send him back to the American I would be League, fascinated. but I think we're getting there. I would be fascinated what the what the conversations are like in the Flames hockey ops room and the coaches room and more importantly like you know what's being communicated to the player because I'm sure you know he's he's such a nice kid he's definitely learning stuff being here but is he learning enough things right now to make it the best use of his developmental time and you know we can you know recalls or recalls I mean at the end of the year you know everyone's playing through stuff so I'm not really overly concerned about the management of regular and emergency recalls because if they'll be fine they'll be fine if, ne- if, nobody ever runs into a real issue it's, and it. as, yeah Brad, it's Brad Trilliving's favorite rule because it's both constrictive and pointless uh, but yeah it's I think I think we're coming up on it, especially, you know, the the Wranglers, you know, they got two home games left, uh, including a matinee on Friday, and then they're heading on the road for six, and they're a good team, and, you know, I, I've been, you know, we've had discussions in the past about if they want to bring guys up from, from the firm, you know, down the stretch, granted, we didn't anticipate them still being in it as long as they have, but... I think the other the swing it the other way has a similar mantra where Walker Dewar, he's playing, he's a difference maker right now for the team. And if he's not a difference maker, he's definitely being a big help and it's helping his development. So keeping Walker Dewar around makes complete sense. He's a right shot forward. They hardly have any of those. They're going to keep him. Uh, for Pelche, they got plenty of left shot wingers and they have left shot wingers that they seem to be leaning on a bit more who have clearer roles in the club. So... If he doesn't have a clear role, if he's not going to be thrown in in the near future, maybe send him down and he can uh, get his mojo going down with the Wranglers. And, you know, the, the Wranglers are very close to clinching top spot, not just in the Pacific Division in the American League, but in the American League. They yep. could clinch a, cha- a regular home season championship, entire, home ice, yep. and they're a team that that could make a difference. They could, you know, they won the division last year. They didn't finish, they didn't clinch the uh, the league regular season title. 
but they're within spitting distance of that. If they, as long as they finish, you know, they just need to win as much as the Coachella Valley Firebirds do down the stretch, and they have a pretty favorable schedule. So I'm sure, you know, if this is the end of Pelche's minor pro time and his body of work definitely suggests that both at the NHL and the AHL level, I'd think sending him down and letting him close out that chapter with uh, potentially a championship or at the very least a very long playoff run is probably the right move. I just think at this point, if you if he's going to continue to sit, and I I get it that you know the coach makes the decision, and if you're if you're Daryl Sutter and you don't think that it makes a ton of sense for him to play right now, that's the coach's prerogative. We can agree or disagree. I'd like to see him in there. I think that he adds something to the lineup. But if that's not going to be the case, oh well, so be it. But still, you want to make the right call for the players' development. And I just wonder if the American League, at some point, and just letting him play games. If he's not going to play games here, um, then let him play games in a league that he was destroying uh, a little earlier he this was, year. When he, when he got called up, he was, what, 10th? 10th or 11th in scoring? Yeah. That's pretty good. It, you know, and he's, you know, he has a, a teammate, uh, I believe right now, Connor Zary is the only 2000 player born in the 2000s. Uh, in the top 30 in the AHL scoring, Pelche was ahead of Zari by a fair amount when he got called up. So, I mean, you know, they, they got a good young team. And, uh, you know, cheap plug. If you have, if you want to go see some live hockey, they play Wednesday and Friday. Friday afternoon. Go uh, some hockey hooky. Yes. On, uh, skip on work. Friday t- t- pull the kids out of school. Skip work and go see a hockey game. Final thought. Chris Tanev will miss his fourth straight game on the back end. And I haven't minded the blue line without him, but they've also played against Anaheim and San Jose in two of the three games that they've played without him. I mean, I didn't love the San Jose game at all for anybody. I thought it was a... Um, just it was a game that got played they, they landed the plane that's all i can say about it yeah that's a good way of putting it i don't know if it was uh, you got a ton of style points on the landing but uh they they didn't uh, sc- scrape a wing or anything like that um but the other game was vegas which they lost they've got la on tuesday another tough one um i asked daryl sutter about how the blue lines played without chris tanev on tuesday morning after morning skate i think it's a question you asked the other four times he was out this year and the answer was the same. It's a challenge. I mean, he's been on either IR or injured for extended lengths of time. Really, it's his fifth time, all of training camp, and then four times. So it's pretty significant. It's not so much, you know, I said this before about him with Tanny. When, when he's out, it's not so, you know, you, everybody knows what you lose when you lose Chris Tanev, but you need other guys to take a little bump in their game. That's for sure. So, Daryl, yeah, it's a challenge without Chris, and the biggest challenge in a lot of ways is getting some of those guys to take the next step up, and, and whether it's Zadorov, whether it's – and, and Uyghur has – held up his end of the bargain he's been dynamite of late but whether it's Zadorov, whether it's Stetcher whether it's the pairing of Anderson and Hannafin being back together um so they're they're gonna have a challenge on their hands in their next two games LA we know how good they are and then you take into account uh the way that uh the way that Vancouver's been playing they've won eight of their last ten and that's playing who the Flames money. play on Friday uh they're gonna need that blue line to step it up a little bit more with Chris Tanev out yeah 
done, and I think it says a lot about the Flames. I, I thought before Tanev went down, they were playing with arguably their optimal three defensive pairings with the personnel they have available. But you know, you think Anderson and um and and Uyghur is the optimal? I think so. And I'm not saying you're I wrong. I think so. But that's that's the way you look at it. I, I think it gets you the most you can out of Uyghur, the most you can out of Anderson, and then everything else sort of shakes down from there. But I think when you don't have a Tanev, you basically have to like they changed all three pairings without Chris Tanev. And granted, they went back to some pairings they've used in the past and they have some comfort with. But I still think you know they they were really doing well with the balance, with the performance of the high end of the guys they had with the the pre-Tanev pairings, yeah. and you take him out, it's, it's you know, he leaves a big hole. And we've seen it consistently when he's not there. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, like like we've said in the past, he's like what Michael Backlund is to the forward group. He's a great stabilizer. When you have him, he calms down a lot of stuff, yep. and he allows you to use the rest of your guys in a way that brings out the best of them. And when you don't have him, I think, you know, like Daryl said, you basically you have to have guys step up. And, you know, Dennis Gilbert's been quite good in his role. He hasn't played a lot, but he hasn't needed to. And, you know, I think the big challenge is can you get a little bit more out of them? He's Pike on Twitter at Ryan and Pike. My name is Pat Steinberg. Cam and Taylor have been our producers this hour as we start to wrap things up. This has been the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.